Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is Owen Jones. Welcome to the podcast. Today we're talking about so-called conversion therapy. It's a form of torture deployed against LGBTQ people. Uh, its survivors have endured terrible, terrible experiences. And we're speaking to one of those survivors today, Justin Beck, an incredibly brave young man up in Scotland, uh, who spent years uh, going through so-called uh, conversion therapy. And what we do is we talk about how he got there, the turmoil that was unleashed, how he was driven to the brink of suicide. And I must emphasize um, a content warning at this point because there is discussion of suicidal ideation, but also how he finally got help, how he got the support he needed, how he found happiness, but also the devastating long-term consequences. And discussing about those LGBTQ people who are still being subjected to this torture. And we talked too about the government's LGBTQ advisory panel being shut down. One of the former members accused the Conservatives of creating a hostile environment for LGBTQ people. And also the failure of this government to properly end this barbaric uh, barbaric practice. Uh, it's, a, it's a really important listen um, and I hope you find the time to do so. Uh, as ever, do support us on Patreon so we can uh, keep this channel going and do all the documentaries we've got lined up or use the support function. Uh, do give us five stars and a review if you feel so well inclined. And with that said, please listen and spread the word. I'm very honoured to be joined today by Justin Beck. Justin Beck is a gay man who is a survivor of so-called conversion therapy, which is a form of torture, uh, which uh, all too many LGBTQ people in this country and beyond have been put through. And the reason, well, there's always a good reason to talk about this, but it's particularly important at the moment, given the context of the LGBTQ advisory board to the government being disbanded after several members or some of the members quit, one of which accused the government of not allow of of uh, of making this country not a safe space for LGBTQ people, and also uh, question marks over whether the government will properly ban this heinous practice in this country. So, Justin, it's a it's a huge honour to have you. Thank you. I just want to start with a cliched question, which uh, for those who are watching who are straight, cis, uh, which means not trans, uh, so not LGBTQ, uh, which is when did you first realise you were different, which is often the term uh, we we use, just so everyone is aware. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, 13, 13 is the answer to that question. Uh, 13 was when I realised that I was attracted to boys, but prior, prior to that, I was born and raised in an evangelical, born-again Christian family uh, in Glasgow. Um, a lot of our social activities centred around the church uh, and being Christian, developing a faith, the importance of God in our lives. Um, so to kind of put a bit of context around that, um, Mondays would be teen club, Wednesdays would be Bible study, 
uh, Thursdays would be discovery group where you take a book of the Bible and you dig deep into what the meanings are for your life as, as a Christian and what that means for uh, missionary work and spreading the word of Jesus. Um, so developing a faith uh, was obviously very formative in shaping me as a young child. So then at 13, to kind of answer your question, at 13, realizing that I was attracted to other boys, it made sense for me to go to the Bible to kind of see what God made of that. Uh, and I think one of the most famous verses in the Bible is in Leviticus where it says, a man shall not lie with a man the way that he lies with a woman. Uh, so for me at 13, that sent a very clear signal that it's not homosexuality or gay because that's not really spoken about. It's same-sex attraction. So same-sex attraction is something that is not accepted in the Bible. Now, love is a tough gig for many, many people, but it is tougher for some than others. And, you know, being a 13-year-old is hard for lots of yes. people. But for you, as someone who realised you were attracted to members of the same gender in the context in which you were being brought up, what was going through your head? What kind of emotions as you realised increasingly who you were as a person? Yeah, um, very, very difficult, very confusing. Um, so again, at 13, realising uh, that I was attracted to boys, it was then very much a good few years of essentially trying to pray the gay away because, again, what I was taught or what I was brought up to believe uh, was that same-sex attraction was sinful. It was it was a sin and it was a, it was a big one. Uh, God doesn't rate sin, but Christians definitely do. Uh, so homosexuality, same-sex attraction was was a big one. So I had a good few years of trying to pray the gay away, essentially. Uh, at 15, I put myself through full immersion baptism, which is the way that John the Baptist baptised Jesus. So essentially, you're kind of like duped under the water and, and brought back up again. So 15-year-old Justin uh, very much believed that he would be immersed under the water, struggling with same-sex attraction, and then would come back up out the water and would be cured and would be would be straight and everything would be would be sorted and uh, you'd be able to kind of continue your life as a, as a heterosexual person um, obviously that didn't work um, so then at 17 I left my family church that I'd been brought up in uh, and joined a Pentecostal church in a, in a neighboring town um, and for me from the ages of 17 to 23 that's where I put myself through six years of, of conversion therapy. Um, Pentecostal churches, I think anyone watching will probably associate Pentecostal churches with the Bible Belt of America, where you see lots of people like holding their hands up and speaking in tongues and falling back. Uh, and I think a common misconception is that that's just where Pentecostal churches are, that they're in the Bible Belt of America, whereas they are very much rife uh, in the UK. Before I ask you about your experience with so-called conversion therapy in the Pentecostal church, which you joined at the age of 17, when you realised, because 13 to 17 is a long time, and mm -hmm. when you're young, 13 to 17 feels like an age. Yeah. So when you realised, having done when what you did at the age of 15, mm -hmm. that it wasn't working, mm -hmm. that you were still attracted to people of the same gender, how did you, was it panic? What kind of emotions did you, did you feel? Yeah, it was a complete panic, knowing that uh, being brought up to believe that it was sinful, a lot of what you are taught in Christian in, through Christianity is to repent. So you're you're repenting, you're apologizing. It's 
uh, and that God has to forgive you. So it's, it's a very sort of negative mindset to remain in for, for many, many years uh, and feeling that it's sinful and it's slowly chipping away at your, at your self-esteem. Uh, I think on the back of that, again, I think we're roughly the same age. So I think all of our, all of our um, educational experience was through Section 28. So there wasn't even the scope that uh, an LGBT charity or youth worker would come into school one day and say, uh, have you heard about LGBT youth groups that you could join? So that, that option wasn't even available to me that there could have potentially been another um, school of thinking for me to even start to think about. So while I was very much immersed in Christianity as a child, there wasn't even the scope out with my family network uh, that somebody would have came in and, and offered an alternative for me. For, and then something maybe would have stuck in my head and I would have thought, oh, wait a minute, that's what I'm thinking about. Um, and I can go away and explore explore that side. So again, think again for people of my generation, uh, Queer as Folk was like instrumental in shaping. And I remember, I remember like many people watching it uh, on mute in my bedroom, um, and it was very much uh, interesting to watch. But it didn't. It wasn't for me. It was just temptation. And that was again another religious word. It was temptation that I was giving into through watching this. Um, and then again, that that feeded into all the panic that I was feeling about what I was feeling, and again, that something had to be done. So, when you joined the Pentecostal church at the age of seventeen, what did you did you tell the other members that you were attracted to men, and what was the response? And then tell me about what was involved to begin with with so called conversion therapy. Yeah, so, um, yeah, very much. Again, I, I joined at 17, uh, joined the Youth Fellowship and would be involved in all sorts of social activities and developing friendships through that with other children, young people that have been brought up in Christianity. Uh, and then with Pentecostal churches, there is always that call at the end of a Sunday service that if anyone's wanting sort of prayer ministry, uh, that you can go down the front. Um, so again, every Sunday for six years, I would be going down and I would share with them. And again, because it, you, know, you would never say I'm gay or I'm homosexual. It's just I'm, I'm struggling with this is the sin that I'm struggling with, um, which was same sex attraction. Um, so, yeah, telling pastors, youth pastors that that's what I was I was struggling with. And then um, every Sunday going down the front of the church, people laying hands on me, speaking in tongues. Um, and then throughout the six years, that would then ramp up and then look at things like exorcisms, having demons cast out me and being anointed with holy oil. Um, so again, for six years, that chipping away at your self-esteem, the fact that no one would actually say, Justin, you're you're just gay and that's okay. Um, so that was, that was never, never spoken about. Um, so yeah, having that and then I think something about like an exorcism there's definitely like an expectation of a reaction so when someone is laying hands on you and speaking in tongues and you're shaking and there's the expectation of a reaction to prove that it's working and that the holy spirit is moving through you and, and casting out that demon it's incredibly emotionally traumatizing so you would eventually then just give them the reaction that they were looking for shake fall back uh, and then you're lying there completely emotionally traumatized not really knowing what to do and from at the early age of 17, you would just lie there thinking, is that it? Is that me? Am I fixed now? Am I normal? Uh, and that, that gives you a real insight into what my headspace was like. Um, and having no 
absolutely zero self-esteem um, because for six years you're being told that there's something wrong with you, you're broken and you have to be fixed. So tell me, I mean, if you're comfortable doing so, some of the practices, what did it actually kind of the specifics? Yeah. So again, uh, going down for prayer ministry at the front, that's usually where you would be, you'd meet someone in the church, a pastor or youth person, uh, and they would pray for you. Uh, And then when you're saying that you are struggling with same sex attraction, that's, (laughs) that's a biggie. (laughs) So that's when more people are brought in. Um, and then an, an exorcism is really, really horrible, where that you have everybody laying hands on you, speaking in tongues, which is ugh, a made-up language. Um, and there's that expect because then there's lots of shouting and screaming, and then people are laying their hands on you, but actually pushing down. I think with the Bible verse about casting demons out from the belly, so everyone's kind of holding your belly um, and pushing on you. Um, which is really scary and, and traumatizing. Um, and then because I've been brought up in it, I was very much participati- participating in that. Um, so I would be crying, I would be screaming, um, because at that point I didn't want to be gay. I, I hated everything about myself and genuinely thought I was evil. Um, so then you would, then there would be the reaction where I would scream, I would fall back. Uh, and again, I would be lying on the ground. People would be laying their hands on me, shouting, screaming uh, in tongues um, and essentially casting out a demon. And then I don't know what is the sign that it's worked, but then eventually that stops uh, and you're left. You're left completely alone um, because in their head they've done it. Jesus has, uh, the Holy Spirit has moved through them and through me and cast the demon out and you're just left there. Um, and that's, that's the worst part. When I look back on my experience, the overwhelming emotion that I remember is utter loneliness and having no support system whatsoever. I mean, for someone, you know, for a lot of people watching this, whatever their sexual orientation, what you're describing to go through that in for a week would be (laughs) exceptionally hard. We're not talking about a week. We're talking about six years. Six years. Yeah. And you, you told me, you know, the loneliness, the, you know, that impact, but if you feel comfortable doing so, what is the mental impact of going through something like that for six years? I mean, what impacts mentally, emotionally, with no, with no support group, as you say, what all does that take? Yeah. I mean, by, by 23, I was completely suicidal. Uh, I had stockpiled medication all over my bedroom and my car and was fully intending on, on taking my own life because at that point I genuinely thought I was evil and it would just be better to not be here. Again, on the flip side of that, I mean, suicide is a mortal sin as well in the Bible, so um, I probably wasn't doing myself any favours. Um, but no, I was completely suicidal. I hated everything about myself. I genuinely thought I was evil. I wouldn't look in mirrors or windows uh, because I hated what I saw. I hated summer as a season because that tended to be hot. And that's when guys tended to walk about without tops on. And I found that attractive so then that would be me going into temptation and sin again so I, I actually hated summer and didn't like going outside in the heat because I, I knew that I'd be giving into temptation by looking at, at men um so again 23 
I, I had to remove myself in order to be st still on the planet. Mm -hmm. um, and I was very, very lucky that I, uh, one Christmas, just before Christmas, I googled spirituality, sexuality, counselling, Glasgow, uh, and found a real licensed therapist uh, and emailed him. And I think I had my first session either on Christmas Eve or the day before Christmas Eve that year. Uh, and that was me taking the first steps uh, for what, what ended up being a decade of person-centred therapy to unpack 23 years of internalised homophobia. Uh, and that's the man that saved my life and is the only reason that I'm here talking to you today. I mean, lots of other people would have gone through that experience and not taken that step. I mean, was there mm. anything that made you take that step? I mean, because, I mean, also linked to this, I'm wondering, did you ever go through phases of trying to convince yourself, oh, maybe this is working, maybe, you know, what I'm going through is horrible, maybe somehow, which is obviously impossible, and it's very important to say that, there's no such thing as gay conversion therapy in practice, even if it was desirable, which of course it isn't. Um, but did you did you go through phases of kind of trying to convince yourself that actually maybe this is working? And then what was it after those years that made you think, I need help, I actually just need outside help at this point? Yeah, I mean, again, when I was around about 19, I... Uh, went and did missionary work in France, uh, <laughs> spreading the word of Jesus through street mime, because it's that's a very effective method, apparently. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, so yeah, when about 19, I, I, I was very much on that track. So I thought, right, okay, well, I'm going to immerse myself in this. Because again, the, the lines that you're told all the time when you're going through this, even when they're not speaking in tongues, is to like, um, you just have to have faith, uh, immerse yourself in the Bible, love God like a lover, um, so I that's what I was doing. These were the three mantras that I was told. So that's what I was doing. I was immersing myself in the Bible and then thinking, right, okay, well, I'll go. I, I know the Bible really well now, so I'm going to go spread the word of Jesus in France. And uh, so that's what that's what I did. And I think that was very, to answer your question, yeah, that was me trying to kind of convince myself that I will just immerse myself in the Bible, become a Christian missionary, eventually probably go to Bible college, become a minister or a pastor. And then that cycle would have just went on and on and on um but it was it was ultimately the toll on my, on my mental health and i could i could see that it was having an impact on my studies so like, i'm a primary school teacher at the time i was going uh, so like, i started uni at 20 um and i saw it was affecting my grades like, i had done really really well in first and second year when i was immersing myself in the bible <laughs> uh, but then the toll on my mental health and then in third year just my, my grades plummeted uh, and i thought no right okay i need I, this can't impact the rest of my life uh, and it was ultimately survival and that's why I had to remove myself and again that that's a really difficult um, transition as well because I had started that church at 17 uh, and had developed friendships and then as soon as I left the church to in order to survive I lost all those friendships um, and I didn't have any and then I was if it because it, it was the line I was told was we just don't have enough faith then and you're like, oh, right, okay. And then that was that was that the end of that period of my life. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. 
Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. How long did it take in terms of that person-centered therapy for you to start thinking to yourself that there's nothing wrong in any sense with being a gay man. And how long did it take you to meet other gay people as friends who became people who you could see were, were gay people living their lives as, as, as gay people, which obviously does yeah. have a big impact on, on gay people after they come out when they, they can see other people with, with, with lives who are having happy yeah. lives. Yeah. So w- with those two things, how long did you start to think to yourself, well, actually, there's obviously nothing wrong with me. How long did that take? Mm-hmm. And, and, I mean, I know that's not yeah. an overnight thing and it would have been conflicting, yeah. but just that sense of it. And then with, with, with gay people, you got to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it was um, difficult, difficult at, at the start, um, I think, I- I think I was kind of um, perceived to be quite prudish. Um, again, having no LGBT visibility or awareness at all, a lot of the kind of common things that, or the language that they used or, or things like that, I just had no awareness of at all. Um, so it was a, a steep learning curve. Um, yeah, I'd then doing online dating and, and meeting people online uh, and then in, in person and things like that. Dating I found very difficult at, at, at the start. Um, yeah, I think that's that, that's a tricky question, um, I think. It, did, it, 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 took, it took a long time and then to develop friendships, um, it was often through, through relationships. So I'd have relationships with uh, my boyfriends and then meet their LGBT friends and uh, have that sort of, um, connection that way, uh, ultimately meeting my partner uh, and getting engaged. And I was supposed to be married this year, but we've postponed to, to next year. So kind of meeting someone who truly accepts me for me uh, and all of my foibles and all of my issues that I have from my past and just being totally accepted 100%. Uh, and then ultimately finding our, my chosen family um, has been instrumental in in giving me the strength to speak out as openly and strongly as I have done about the ban on conversion therapy. How would you describe the lasting impact of what you went through? How how are you how are you doing today essentially? Yeah. But massive. I mean the impact has been massive. I would say that 
while I've had my decade of, of therapy and my therapist is still my safety net. I don't need my sessions anymore, but I know that he's out there if I ever needed him. Having that safety net is absolutely fundamental to me at the moment. Um, still struggle with my self-esteem at times, um, suffering from like panic attacks and anxiety very much. I think I don't think lockdowns helped with that at all, really. Um, but it's still it's still an issue. That's that's why again why I'm speaking out quite openly about it. That any ban has to include religious and faith settings. Um, since I've been speaking out about it, um, people have got in touch and have said like want to kind of meet and have a chat. And is the grass greener on the other side through coming out because they're still in these churches being taught the same things that I was taught about immersing themselves in the Bible and loving God like a lover and just having faith. Um, so yeah, the lasting impact of it is absolutely massive. It's incredibly damaging and I am one of the lucky ones. I'm still here. Uh, there'll be plenty out there that didn't make it. Before I ask you about that, how, how do you feel about looking back those people at that church who obviously were in leadership positions mm -hmm. and put not just you, but other people through what you went through. Yeah, I mean, there were adults in a position of power again. I, yes, I I consented to it for six years, but as an adult looking back on it now, I was in a very vulnerable position and very open to being manipulated and swayed. Um, I think I'm very, I'm very concerned that Boris Johnson has come out and said that any sort of ban will still protect protect people struggling with same-sex attraction and not comfortable seeing LGBT people. People struggling with same-sex attraction, they have that protection for pastoral support and prayer. A massive part of any exorcism, any prayer ministry is, is through prayer. So to me, that's a loophole. It's a loophole that's being protected for religious and faith settings. And I'm sorry, but that I'm, I'm not sorry. <laughs> that's not a that's not a comprehensive ban. If we need to be able to stop leadership people in leadership positions in churches, the ban has to go further than what apparently its its current form is. I mean, how do you feel? You know, as I said at the beginning, the uh, the LGBTQ advisory panel set up under Theresa May has now been disbanded after some of its members resigned, one of them saying, accusing the government pointedly of making, of, of, of Britain no longer being a safe space for LGBTQ people under this, under this government. Mm -hmm. And then the promises, because promises were made on, on so-called conversion therapy. Uh, how do you feel about what the government are doing and the, and the impact that could have if, what you just said in terms of Boris Johnson's letter is if that is enacted. Yeah, it's it's deeply frustrating in that I watched the the debate on the conversion therapy petition, and I think I just kind of got swept up because I felt that it, the, there was massive cross party support from everybody. I thought Alicia Cairns was fantastic. Um, and I think I thought, right, okay, this is going to happen. And then to get the robotic response from Kemi Bednuk. Um, and again, when you look at the words that were used, it was just a bit, it was just vague. It was really, 
and any sort of late vague language just leaves massive space and scope for, for loopholes. Um, so I was very disappointed with that. Uh, and I would say, I would say currently, this is maybe the most um, scary time, I would say, for to, to be LGBT plus. Um, I think we we made we've, we have made so much progress uh, in terms of equal marriage. Uh, <coughs> excuse me, equal marriage, uh, and in Scotland we've um, got the the campaign, the Time for Inclusive Education campaign, about actually implementing LGBT inclusive education throughout schools. That's phenomenal steps forward. It, for me, it just feels a wee bit like a step back, uh, and I would strongly urge politicians to reaffirm their commitment to the, the LGBT community because I think there'll be an awful lot of scared and anxious people out there at the moment. What would you say to those, many of them scared and anxious, but people, I suppose in your position or mm. what, what you went through when you go through conversion therapy, because there are many currently going through that right now, mm. the country, yeah. some of them might be watching or, or listening to this on the podcast. What would you say to them? Because many of them may feel, well, you know the emotions yeah. in, in a way I could never understand. What would you say to them? You're not alone. You are absolutely 100% not sinful. You are not broken. You do not require fixing. If you want to continue in a religious faith setting, that's fine. God loves you exactly as you are. Look at the Christians in your churches. Do they, do all the women wear hats to church? Do all of their clothes have single fabrics? Do they eat shellfish? If the answers to these questions are, well, no, or yes, they do eat shellfish, then they're not following the Bible to the letter of the law. You don't get to cherry pick the parts of the Bible that suit you. So why, why do you, as a person that's struggling with same-sex attraction, why do you have to change? Because they're not, you're not broken, you're not sinful. God loves you as you are. And there is a whole host of people in the LGBT community that are happy and willing to welcome you with open arms and to give you the fellowships that you're not, the genuine fellowship and honest fellowship that you're not getting in your church. Very, very powerful words. And um, finally, I suppose, you know, there are so many brilliant Christians doing so much work in our mm -hmm. communities across the country, including LGBTQ Christians and the LGBTQ allies were Christians, including priests, including people active in all levels of community life and food banks to, to work within LGBTQ communities. Yeah. To those who, who call themselves Christians, though, who do claim that homosexuality is innately sinful and requires some form of uh, action in order to cure people of it. What would you say to them? I think one of the most famous parables is about um, having basically having a look at yourself before you come for others. So it's about taking the log out of your own eye before you come for the speck of dust in mine. That's what I have to say to them. Very powerful, Justin. Um, it's a huge honour to be able to talk to you about this um i know it's not easy and there are lots of people who've who've gone through what you've gone through and completely without any judgment it's totally understandable feel it feel it's very difficult to talk about it mm -hmm. but you being able to talk about it does have a massive impact on 
some of the most vulnerable LGBTQ people in the country who are who are suffering a horrible form of torture, which has a terrible lasting impact on their lives. And lots of us within the LGBTQ communities have seen the lasting impact um, on those we love who've who've had to go through the sorts of experiences you have. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very moving to be able to hear, and it just shows underlines just how important it is that desperate, desperate action, urgent action, which is long overdue, is taken to save LGBTQ people, including people who, it must be said, um, ended up with less fortunate endings yeah. than than the one you have. So mm-hmm. I really, really appreciate it, and um, all my all my love and and, and solidarity and eternal gratitude for being able to talk no thank you very much thank you thank you for listening to that do support us on patreon or the support function and leave a review and five stars if you feel so well inclined to do so Uh, and i look forward to speaking to you soon tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.